0: If you'd like to follow along with the sermon this morning, there is an outline provided in the bulletin as we start looking at Mark 7. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark asking, who is Jesus? And what does the Gospel of Mark tell us about this person, Jesus? That if we are Christians, then it must all be about Christ, about Jesus Christ. And so we are learning each week more and more, who is this Jesus? Jesus. Well, if you joined us last Sunday evening, we had a, a service for my installation, and it was this very formal, solemn occasion. There was no clapping or anything like that. And, and Judy Grice got up and shared some things about me, and she said how mature I was. And some people might have caught it, but I might have done a little something like that, silly face. Uh, and that's because sometimes there are people who just at heart are still little boys, And you may know some guys like that, and they may be 50, 70, 90, who knows, but really they're kind of still little boys at heart, and they may even think potty humor is funny even if they're 62 years old. You just can't get it out of their heart that in their hearts they're just ornery, and that's where it is. They still have that little boy at heart, and how do you get that out of their hearts? And people have tried so long to try and get that out of our hearts. Well, Jesus in this passage is trying to get something else out of someone's hearts. And it's not as cute or even as funny as that. It's something a little more serious, something a little deeper. That Jesus is confronting the religious leaders of the day, and he's trying to get at the heart of an issue. That focus is being put so much on what's on the outside, that I can dress up looking real nice in a suit and a tie, but I still may just go... I may do that, and it's on the outside I look presentable, but what about in the heart? Judy alluded to it in her children's message this morning that we may dress up in our very nicest clothes and come to church. We may have beautiful facade outside the church, but what's inside? What's in the heart? And so our passage today in Mark seven one through twenty three deals with this. So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter seven. If you'd like to open your Bibles in front of you, there should be some in the pews. You also, if you brought your own, can turn to Mark chapter seven. Mark is the second book in the New Testament, and I'll be reading verses one through twenty three. I'll be reading from the pew Bible today, the New International Version. So here, Mark seven one through twenty three. The Pharisees and some teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your, own, by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you that we can come to this place to hear your word, and we pray that your spirit might be with us. Spirit, be with me as the speaker, that what I say would be true and that what is not true that it would just filter out of our ears never to be accepted. Bless the message this morning, and spirit, be with all of us here to be listeners, to have open hearts and minds, to receive your word. And Lord God, change us. Use your word, which is powerful, to change us into the likeness and image of your Son, putting off our sin and bearing the fruit of holiness, the fruit of your Spirit. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, this morning we are talking about sin. It's so much fun to get up here and talk about sin, but that's what the Bible says, and so that's what we hear. And so this morning, what I think our passage is saying is that sin is primarily an internal problem that must be dealt with at its root. We cannot just deal with the symptoms, we must deal with the cause, and the cause of sin is deep. It is an internal, not an external problem. And so first, we're going to look at Jesus' argument with the Pharisees. Then we're going to look at his further explanation to the disciples and the crowd, and finally ask, well, what does this mean for us? So first, we're going to look at Jesus and his little argument here. The religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the leaders or scribes from Jerusalem, appear again. They have not appeared since chapter 3, and they're here to cause trouble for Jesus. They come to the disciples, and they say, well, why don't you follow the tradition of the elders? They don't follow this practice of ceremonial washing prior to eating. Apparently, some time ago, religious leaders had determined that in order to make sure they were right with God, they needed to do different kinds of washing before they ate. This was additional. It was not required by God's law. But they created these rules, these traditions, to make sure they didn't break God's law. They wanted to make sure they were right with God, so they created additional traditions. And so this was passed down from elders to elders, from leaders to leaders for generations as a tradition that those who are truly committed to God will certainly follow these additional rules. They would agree with the tradition. And so the Pharisees and the scribes, thinking this is just normal, go to Jesus and his disciples and say, well, why don't you guys do this? And Jesus answers their question. And he does so with just a bit of heat, just a bit. Jesus tells them right away that Isaiah prophesied really well about you hypocrites. Whew, okay, that starts the argument pretty fast. He says, Isaiah wrote this, that this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus is pointing to the main problem, that they have elevated their own traditions, their own rules, their own practices to the level of God's law. And thus, they have chosen their traditions and set aside God's law. He says, you have let go of the commands of God, setting them aside, and thus you nullify them with the word. And to make matters worse, you do this in many ways. Now, obviously, the religious leaders were not thinking, man, how could we really mess up God's law? They thought they were doing something right. They thought they were following God. But what had happened was their own traditions had taken the place of God's law. They lost the heart of God's word because they cared too much about their own doing, whatever it was they were doing in these many ways. And so Jesus gives an example of how wrong they are, comparing them to Moses, God's word there. He talks about the practice of Korban, and obviously we all know, no, we don't know what that is. We really don't. Korban was some kind of practice where religious people could say that I am dedicating my money, my possessions, what is mine, to God. But somehow the religious leaders had created a loophole. And they figured out, well, what if I dedicate it to God, but I'm a religious leader. I'm kind of like God. And so they were able to still use the money but justify not providing for their elderly parents and not caring for them. In other words, they circumvented the laws of God in order to keep their own money. That financial burden of caring for their parents no longer existed for them. But the problem was, according to God's word, we are to honor our father and mother. And that includes caring for them as they age. So Jesus calls them out on this hypocrisy showing that their traditions circumvent, they go against God's law. They have voided the fifth commandment, that really they don't even follow it anymore. They have found ways around it, elevating this tradition of Korban higher than God's law. The scariest part about all of this, though we don't know a whole lot about Korban or even who these Pharisees were, the scariest part is they thought they were doing what was right. All of it was being done in the name of obeying God, that on the outside they looked like they were doing the right thing. And Jesus condemns them for holding to these traditions. After all, God's laws are what tell us what godliness is. God gave us his laws to help us understand holiness, how to follow him. And who are these religious leaders to come in and say, hey, we've got some new laws and you need to do those too they're putting themselves in the place of God. But it doesn't stop people from trying to do that. Like the Pharisees and the scribes, we can also fall into this trap, making up our own traditions about following God that somehow circumvent God's laws. Perhaps it's just an issue of emphasis. We prefer to emphasize some commands or some attributes of God over against others. Maybe we justify speaking harshly to people, because we know God is holy and just, forgetting that God is also merciful and forgiving. Or maybe we're flipped the other way, and we always talk about how loving God is and never want to bring up sin, thinking God is so loving and forgiving, but we forget that God also is holy and just. Maybe we justify other things. Maybe we look to our attendance and our involvement in church as an excuse for not helping the poor and the needy in our area. Maybe we try to force other people to do our own personal Bible reading plans and do what we do for personal devotions or prayer, forgetting that God does not have a chapter in the Bible that says, here's how daily devotions are supposed to be done. Maybe we only consume certain movies, music, or books so that we're not tainted by the world and we think everyone needs to do as we do. See, whatever the reason is, whatever way we elevate our own traditions, the reason is we lose sight of the heart of God's law. That deep down we try to make ourselves worthy in God's sight by doing what we think is right. And the result is that we find ourselves dressed in poorly sown fig leaves like Adam and Eve. That any time we try to cover ourselves with our own holiness, it ends up not looking so good. We're trying to cover something that is uncoverable in our own power. See, the heart of God's law shows us that God cares about the heart more than outward practices. And it's the heart that Jesus really gets at in verses 14 through 23. That after chastising the religious leaders, Jesus calls the crowd to him. So not just the leaders, but everybody, the big crowd that followed him. And he starts this discussion on what it means to be clean. The Pharisees and scribes were very concerned that they were clean before God, and so they would wash themselves and wash their cup and wash their plate and wash everything else so that they would not be tainted. And they also kept free from unclean foods. That in Leviticus 11, we find a long list of unclean and clean foods, what you are allowed to eat and what you are not allowed to eat. And man, bacon's on the no list. It's it's really one of the most unfortunate chapters there. But thankfully, we'll learn in just a minute that things get better. But see, Jesus turns this whole discussion of clean and unclean upside down. And he does so with a short parable and just a hint of potty humor. So it's going to be rated PG for just a minute. I I apologize. See, Jesus says to the crowd, nothing outside of a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. So as was Jesus' practice, he would let that parable just hang in the air a little bit. And he wouldn't explain it. And so later, when he went into the house with his disciples, they are like, Hey, what what did you say? We didn't really hear that. And of course, he calls them dull for not understanding it. But then he does, he's nice, and he goes on and explains to them, Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. See, Jesus is talking about those clean and unclean rules that the Pharisees and the scribes were worried about. They made sure to only eat clean food on clean plates with clean napkins and clean forks and clean cups and clean hands. That's what they cared about. They didn't want anything unclean to enter them. But Jesus understands basic biology. Um, food doesn't go to your heart, food goes to your stomach, and then it goes out the body. (laughs) Now, Bible translators and publishers are very diligent workers, and they do an excellent job translating scripture from the original Hebrew and Greek into our modern languages, but occasionally, occasionally for propriety's sake, they have to make some choices, and so the Greek for out of his body is literally pooped into the toilet. That's what Jesus is saying. Granted they did not have toilets back then, they would have had latrines or outhouses or something like that, but kids, Jesus is referencing poop here. And it, you know, I, I got really excited this week that I got to talk about this in church because it's in the Bible because I'm that little little kid inside still. But Jesus is making a great point in talking about it. It's not just for silly sake, it is for the point. That whether a person eats clean food or unclean food, it all comes out as unclean poop. Never once touching the heart. So these clean and unclean regulations never get to the heart. They're just signs. They're just pictures of what it means to be clean and right with God. They are showing us outwardly an internal reality. And so Jesus understands that. And he goes on to describe in further detail that deeper reality. In verses 20 through 23, we see this. That it isn't just what comes out of the toilet that is unclean. But it's what comes out of our hearts. For out of our hearts comes sin. Jesus lists many different kinds of sin, all of which originate in the heart. Our New Testament reading from Romans 3 got it this big time. That no one is righteous, no, not one. No one does good. You have the venom of snakes. On your lips. All of our hearts are sinful and hostile towards God. The Pharisees were only one example of this. Their distortion of God's laws with their traditions was just one expression of the sinfulness of the human heart, that all of us by nature have unclean hearts. You see, Jesus isn't talking about bad people, Jesus is talking about all people. And this is something that we have to remember in so many instances. So I'll go personal and then global. Personal, today, today was hard. Today we had kids who were not very happy coming to church. And they're young and they're frustrating. And I got really frustrated. And I should not have got frustrated. And in my heart, that anger built. And so when I came to church today, I was either on boil or simmer. I'm not sure what it was, but it was one of the two. But that came from within, from within my heart. Because even if I stand up here, even if I'm a believer, there is still sin in my heart. That it's not for bad people, it's for all people. But the other correction is globally. The danger we have now in light of what has happened in Paris is to see people as bad people. That those bad people did it. Well, unlike Lord of the Rings, you can't tell who is a bad person. They are not slimy, gross orcs. They are humans made in the image of God. Though they are wicked, though they have done evil, though they are wrong, they are human, and their hearts are evil like ours. And the expression may be on a greater degree, but it's the same evil flowing in our hearts. And they have the same opportunity to change, the same God who can reach out to them and save them. There are not bad people. There is only people. And all of us have sin in our hearts. See, the reason the Pharisees felt this need to clean themselves so thoroughly in the eyes of God is because all of us feel this need. All of us have this sense inside of us somewhere of guilt. That we are not good enough. That we are not worthy. We know better than anyone else what's inside our own hearts. We know every evil thing we've done. You guys don't know every evil thing I've done, but I do. I know what's in my heart, and the same goes for all of you, that we know the darkness of our hearts, and so we feel the need to prove ourselves and our worth, to make ourselves presentable, to dress really nice when we come to church so that people don't see the hurt, the darkness inside of us. That was my struggle this morning. How do I go to church on simmer? How do I hide the simmer? But our hearts struggle with that. See, Jesus is saying sin is not an external issue. It is an internal one. It is a heart issue, and it is a disease we all suffer from. Our Old Testament reading from Psalm 51 came from King David. He had sinned, and he felt unclean before God, and he knew the problem was not a sacrifice. The problem was not coming to church and doing something. The problem was deep inside of him. In verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. That it is our sinful heart that separates us from God. And no rituals, no obedience, no good intentions can make us right with him. It is a matter of the heart. So then what can make us clean? What can make us clean? And what can give us a clean heart? We read the end of this passage, and it ends like this. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean, period. Next story. It just ends. There's no, like, and here's how your heart gets better. Here's how it's going to work. It just stops. Is there any hope for hearts full of evil? Is there any hope for people like us who are sinners? Well, yes. And I think it is hiding in this passage. I think Mark is telling us about this hope. You see, in verse 19, it ends with a little parenthesis. Mark writes that the implication of what Jesus said was that he declared all foods clean. That even though the Old Testament said that some foods were unclean, Jesus now says they're all clean. That's your bacon rejoice right there. That Jesus just changed scripture. But he didn't say, forget about this, don't read it anymore, it doesn't matter. Instead, Jesus is saying something greater has come. Something that is fulfilling has come. That what that clean and unclean pointed to is here. And it is here in him. People do not need to worry about external purification because an internal purification has come. It is available in Jesus. You see, if Jesus had the authority... To say to unclean foods, I declare you clean. Then what can he do for our unclean hearts? Can he not also see an unclean heart and declare and say, it is clean? Yes, he can. But how? Our hope for a clean heart is only found in Jesus, that he can make that declaration. But you can't just forget scripture. You can't just forget sin. And so when Jesus is describing the sinfulness of a human heart, there's one little detail missing. Just one. Not that Jesus did it wrong. He likes to leave these little, but wait, what about this? And the, but wait, what about this here is that every heart is sinful. Oh, all but one. All but one. That Jesus was perfectly clean and holy that he fully obeyed all of God's commands, that nothing evil or sinful ever flowed out of him, that he was pure in heart. And so Jesus has this perfect relationship with God. He is not separated from him by sin or uncleanness. And yet, for our sake, he willingly accepted the punishment that someone deserves for their sinful heart, someone separated from God, and he was executed. He was executed by crucifixion, facing the punishment of a criminal. Even worse, during his crucifixion, he experienced spiritual separation from God, a separation only sinners deserve. Jesus took the punishment that every evil heart deserves so that he could declare people with evil hearts clean, forgiven in the eyes of God and acceptable in his sight, that their punishment had been paid for in Jesus. And his perfect obedience, his perfect righteousness is declared to be theirs. That's the hope every Christian has. That the sinless Savior took the punishment for our sins so that we might receive the righteousness of Christ as a gift. Because we can't do it on our own. We need to receive it as a gift. And so then as we are saved, God begins to breathe new life into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just shock us with panels and restart the heart, giving us a new chance. He gives us a new heart, a transplant, in fact. He starts to change us from the inside out, and that's what Jesus is getting at in this passage, that the religious leaders of their days were concerned about the outside, messing things up, and traditions, and washings, and all of this. And they're like, what... What is Jesus going to think? Is he going to fall in with our rules? Is he going to have the same rules? Is he going to add more rules? Because, man, we can't do many more rules. But Jesus goes beyond tradition, beyond rules, beyond mere obedience, that Jesus did not come to show us how to be religious. He came to change hearts. He did not come with seven new steps to know God better or the five ways to live a victorious life. No, he came to declare our hearts clean even though they were dirty and to send the Spirit to start cleaning our hearts, to transfuse the life of God into our hearts so that we're changed from the inside out. Put another way, Jesus is less concerned with the work we do as Christians than he is with the worker. He wants to get at the heart. Ephesians 2.10 Says this, the Apostle Paul writes For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. There are two kinds of work there. First, God works in us, creating us new, to give us new hearts, giving us a clean heart. And from that heart, we are given new works to do. Works that God wants to see us do, works of Holiness, works that glorify God and show clean hearts and obedience rather than the evil of sin. And so the Holy Spirit cultivates in us the fruit of the Spirit, which grows from the inside out. Fruit does not get stapled on a tree. Fruit grows from seed up through the tree and out. And so God starts in our heart so that someday the fruit of the Spirit will blossom in us instead of trying to polish our dirty hearts he plants new seeds in our old hearts so something new can grow there and bear a harvest of holiness for god see christianity is not about how to get right with god and by what we do it's not focused on do this and then you'll be right Jesus didn't come to lead a seminar on how to be better religious people. He came to find the root of our issues and, like a surgeon, fix it at the root, at the source of our problem, and he has done so. And he offers to do so, to change hearts. And so we are called to humble our hearts, to not, like the Pharisees, think we've got it all together and we just need to keep anything bad outside because we're good on the inside. We are called to say, I'm broken in here. Can someone fix me? Who can make me right with God? And that's Jesus. See, the only good that comes out of our hearts has been put there by the greatest heart surgeon, Jesus Christ, who gives us a pure heart through the Spirit. So we live now as new creations. Obeying God's good commands and displaying his righteousness by obeying his commands. Not our traditions, not silly other rules, but looking to his word and saying, how can I follow you? How can I bear fruit to love God, to love others, and to love the world? And that's what we, people of a new heart, are called to do. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you can fix what is most wrong with us. That you do not just dress us in some new clothes. You do not just put makeup on us. But you go deep down inside of us. And you cleanse our hearts. You deal with our sin, that which separates us from you. And you don't do it in a way that gets rid of justice letting us off the hook without punishment. But you, O God, took the punishment on yourself that your own son, Jesus Christ, died in our place so that we might have a new heart. Lord, may we trust in you. Spirit, fill us that if we do not know this saving grace, this life of a changed heart in Jesus Christ, God, speak to us this day and help us to trust in you. And for those of us that may be caught up in religious ritual, who may forget the sin in our own hearts, may we look inward to see what Christ has done, knowing that we are nothing without you, and it is only you who work good in us. Lord, all the glory goes to you, for you are the one who planted the seed. So any fruit that grows in our hearts is not our doing. It doesn't give us a gold star or some merit badge. That glory goes to you, O God. May we always remember that and give glory and honor to you, our God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.